We are live for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and I'm joined by Seth Wintraub live from the, well, not the Elioto show right now, but from Los Angeles. How are you doing, Seth? Close enough. I'm doing well. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Then uh, I wanted to say a quick thank you to our sponsor for this episode of the Electric Podcast, EcoFlow. EcoFlow has, has its Black Friday sale coming here with up to 50% off of a wide range of EcoFlow portable power and solar panel solution. Use code EFBF8OFF, that's O-F-F, for an extra 8% off on top of their super Black Friday sales. We're going to have a little bit more to say about them later on on the show, but thanks for sponsoring this episode of the Electric Podcast. So this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the LA Auto Show, because that's uh, set is there. We had a big part of the crew there. We had Jamie, we had uh, Scooter, uh, anyone else was there? Uh, Mikey, Mikey. Mikey. Um, so... We had almost uh, almost everyone there, and uh, not for much apparently. I was just talking to Seth before the show, and uh, any any highlights or anything like that. All right, so very disappointing show. I think everybody kind of on the same page about that. Um, so we had four people out. Um, Mikey was out with Genesis. Um, he did the post on the uh, the convertible thing, and they were very cagey about you know if they're doing electric or if they're doing gas versions of those things. So. Not super impressed with that. Oh, did <clears> you confirm <throat> that's electric? <laughs> I didn't know that. I missed I mean, that it, one. The convertible is, they definitely have an electric version of that, electric version of it, but they were oh, the, the prototype was electric, is that what you're saying? Right, right. Okay. But they, they don't, they're not guaranteeing what the final product's going to look like or, you know, some, some version of that. So Genesis, uh, you know, they, they're partners with, or sorry, they're, they're part of the same organization as Kia which we were kind of hoping to see the EV9, uh, the SUV that, you know, kind of like the Rivian R1S size uh, vehicle with the third th third row. Um, they showed a prototype off at the last uh, LA Auto Show unannounced. Um, so we were, you know, like, all right, well, they didn't announce it last time. So we're, you know, hoping to see something this time. Kia had nothing. The only thing they did announce is the, uh, the EV6 uh, GT, uh, which differs from the GT line. Uh, the GT line is more of like an aesthetic GT, but the GT is actually like a high power, uh, super fast, three seconds, zero to 60 version of the EV9. Mm. And they just announced it. So there's really nothing like we knew that was coming. Uh, and we're going to actually get to drive it um, in mid-December. And I think we're going to, I think the embargo is probably around, uh, you know, the holidays. So uh, we'll have a review of that. Um, Hyundai had nothing like there's, they, they were showing off a gas car, um, which is weird. Uh, we went to the Chevy booth. They were very standoffish. Like we were like, Hey, we'd like to talk about all your stuff. Uh, and they were like, you know, we're not going to tell you anything new, anything interesting, any newsworthy, uh, on the, the new, on the electric stuff. So that was a little bit of a dis disappointment. Uh, PR folks there, um, some good folks, but like a lot of bad folks, it's really kind of frustrating. I was there with VW. So VW brought me all the way to uh, Los Angeles, which thank you. Um, they, the, what we saw, we were not allowed to talk about to after CES. Um, the rumors are the uh, ID arrow was, you know, going to be shown. And uh, I think that those were pretty correct. Um, there's a new name for it. That's even more boring than the, uh, that and then it's got an interesting paint job that uh, I think will put BMW to shame, uh -huh. and uh, we'll find out more about that at CES. 
Um, what else did we see? Um, we saw the uh, Dodge Charger SRT uh, with the Banshee 800 volt uh, system prototype. So that didn't, you know, doesn't move, doesn't do anything. It does make that sound. So it's got this like uh, cat like sound that it's uh, when you, you know, as exhaust. Um, so the thing about this vehicle is that uh, it's got all kinds of fake things to make it seem like a muscle car. So it, it's got like sound that apparently goes up to 120 decibels, which is like, you know, ear damage kind of levels, you know, and it puts it out at the bottom. So it's like, you know, where kids are. So that's, that's a really exciting uh, feature. Um, one nice thing is they have the wing on the front of the car and it kind of allows it to look like uh, the chargers of old. So it's got kind of a, a flat face, even though there's air coming up and over uh, the front wing there. See, so you can see it, uh, if you guys are watching. Um, that can I click on this or is it going to be super yeah. loud? Yeah. I think it's kind of quick. Huh? But just that like dark area is basically wind goes up through there and over the, the thing. So, um, And then they have a stick shift inside called the Erupt. Um, and apparently when you, it's all fake, but when you shift gears, it, it turns off the acceleration for a second, like, like when you're shifting gears. So that's it's not real. Oh, and, and America, and apparently the, the sound inside is going to mimic like what it's like to drive a, the, what, very why would you fake the downsides of a manual transmission? Like. You know when you lose power for a second? <laughs> Let's try to replicate that in a completely automatic electric-powered vehicle. Well, it's really all downsides, right? So, like, yeah. that's, that's all you can really do. Well, the um, sound, people will argue the sound thing is not a downside. Like, they, yeah. they want to feel it and everything. But when you know it's fake, I feel like you lose all of that, all the value in that. You're just trying to trick yourself into, like, feeling the power of the vehicle. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the, so that was no, that no was new uh, in terms of availability of that and everything. Like, because we, we know that they are working on uh, muscle car. Uh, do, is it even confirmed that it's the SRT uh, form factor they're going with or the Charger yeah, SRT? I mean, yeah, they're calling it the uh, Dodge Charger SRT Banshee. Um, yeah, that's right, Banshee. So I don't know. Uh, I think they're going to make it. I don't know what kind of numbers or whatever but uh it's pretty cool then next door in the uh stellantis uh area um they had a big announcement about the fiat 500 um and that is that the european version of the fiat 500 500e uh which has been quite popular in europe actually uh the ceo was like it's the second most popular ev brand in uh europe to tesla so I guess that's good news, um, but they're not going to bring it to the, I don't know. It's probably like it's some, some geos. I mean, I know that, you know, we know Zoe does well and there's a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Um, so they're going to bring that to the U S uh, they had three uh, designer versions of the Fiat 500 E. So they're trying to make it like a, a high end, like luxury fashion thing. They're going to bring it to the U S they're going to charge a lot for it next year. And they're probably going to, you know, get sell like 10,000 of them. So it's not a high volume thing. It's it's a product that already exists in Europe and it has for a while. The ones they showed us were, you know, they had like the Menkes CCS2. So they were just European versions. Um, 
and it's not coming until like they're going to have an announcement next year at the auto show and that's when they're going to commence sales of it so they're it's a 2024 vehicle that's existed you know in europe since last year so it th that's kind of like a good it know, sounds like a compliance car that's what you're describing right now it's a compliance car but yeah. they're they're going to sell it for too much money and they're going to try to make it a fashion statement thing they were very like the whole thing was like about um you know fashion brands uh and you know there was like gold dust in the paint and oh not know, gold dust in the paint yeah you're selling yeah. it to me said so you're selling it to I me hard. <laughs> right so uh yeah just kind of disappointing all around yeah there, there were some things a little bit more exciting that wasn't really with the Elioto show, but what happens a lot with these big shows, that a lot of companies, they will unveil things on the sidelines of the shows. Like uh, As the same time that everybody is unveiling everything, they try to capture some of that hype. And uh, there was two of those uh, this week. We reported on the Draco Dragon. Uh, if you remember Draco, you, remember, you might remember the Draco GTE, uh, which... Um, not for everyone, it's a million-dollar supercar, and it was based on the Fisker chassis and the Fisker Karma, the original one. And we, we were kind of excited about it a little bit when they first came out, 2019, and when we tested it out in 2020. And uh, the, the, what, what was interesting about it is that they developed a quad-motor powertrain that was pretty impressive because it had a capacity for each motor at each wheel to output 225 kilowatt of, of power output and also minus 225 of reach in. And uh, they were able to do some cool things on the racetrack with that very impressive powertrain that they built. But they had a ton of limitations since it was all built on the Fisker Karma chassis. Now, so at the time, we all speculated basically that they were likely going to use that as a test bed because they were not planning to make that many of them either. I don't remember exactly how many it was, but it was, uh, again, it's a million dollar car anyway. Uh, but they were going to use it as a test bed to make another vehicle from the ground up with that powertrain. And sure enough, that is a Draco Dragon. Uh, they, they announced it a few months ago, but uh, today was the full unveiling with all the specs and all the details. It looks pretty cool. Those giant, like, double gullwing doors. So that's a giant hinge that you see right there. It looks like a weak point. Yeah. But, uh, but it's pretty cool that you can... Get built inside. You just have to open one door. You can get in the back seat and the front seat. Uh, the the design is rock solid, in my personal opinion. It's uh, it, it's kind of uh, uh, reminds me a little bit of the Lamborghini Urus, which mm -hmm. I think is kind of what they are going for. Like the kind of market they're going for, like a hyper. Well, I guess the Urus is not a hyper SUV. It's like a super SUV, but this is a hyper because it's also efficient. Look at this one. This is a nice picture right there. Uh, Look at those sharp corners. Looks like you can cut yourself on that car. Mm -hmm. uh, the interior is pretty good too. And that, that's probably one of the bigger improvements over the GTE because the, the Fisker has a very good looking um, exterior for, uh, for, for a sedan. But the interior was extremely cramped because uh, that's how it was designed. Um, and then this obviously this is an SUV form factor, though a very sporty SUV. So it's not about utility as much as the performance, because we'll get, we'll get to the performance in a second. But they're very impressive. But still, still a pretty sharp interior here. Uh, giant, giant screen that you have in front. 
uh, still an instrument cluster, and it looks like a, a race car um, steering wheel right there. And of course, this is super luxury, so you have the screen for the back seat too. Looks like full-size iPads in the back. Well, yeah, in terms of performance, that, that thing rocks. So you, you have uh, a lot of first, uh, first of all, in terms of weight. <laughs> Speaking of Lamborghini, you had one that just passed your hotel, I think. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. <laughs> so uh, they are, they're claiming the first production SUV with a full carbon fiber structure, which is going to save 50% of the weight of the chassis. So that's, uh, that's a first right there. Another first is a 500 kilowatt charging capacity, fast charging capacity, peak, peak charging capacity. Uh, which uh, I would assume is more about being future-proof because you won't find a lot of uh, 500 kilowatt charging station out there. But uh, in the future, it's likely to happen. Uh, we're talking about a zero to 60 acceleration in a 1.9 seconds, a quarter mile in nine seconds flat, and a top speed of over 200 miles per hour. So that's just pure performance in the in the SUV form factor here. So again, not for everyone, but a lot cheaper than uh, Draco's first car uh, coming in at $290,000. So it's in the super SUV category. Uh, but you, uh, you, 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 I was not sure at first. I'm like, I can get your opinion on that set. But the, when, when they announced, so $290,000 car and they are planning a production capacity of up to 5,000 units per year. Uh, which make it like a significant vehicle program. Like probably they're gonna make as much as the, as the Fiat 500 e, uh, in the U.S., uh, but it's a 290,000 dollar vehicle. So I, I don't I don't know about that. Like there's not a lot of 290,000 vehicle that's in 5,000 units per year, but it's kind of carving itself its own little place in the market here, as with that kind of performance that you can see in the Model S plan, but in the SUV form factor that is obviously extremely. Well, in my opinion, an extremely good-looking car. What do you think? Yeah, it kind of reminds me, I mean, spec-wise, it's a little bit closer to, like, the Remac Navara. It's like a SUV version mm -hmm. of the Navara um, with the 2,000 horsepower, uh, subs 2 seconds, 0 to 60, uh, 200 mile per hour, over 200 mile per hour speed and, you know, big range. 3,500 so, pound towing capacity, you won't find that in the Navara, though. <laughs> that's true. 3,500, that's that's a very, like, it's small for, like, you can't do big trailers with that. I don't know what you would carry with this thing. No. Yeah. Uh, you know, those little small trailers that you can put stuff on and on them. Yeah, you put a SUV in it, or a, a, an ATV in it, mm -hmm. something. Yeah, and 290, uh, that's not, you know, super duper car price. Like, it's not like a Bugatti or anything. And it it's going to play in that same, you know, hyper fast arena so i i definitely think there's a market for that i don't know what did you say that they were gonna how five thousand for years that sounds like quite a lot it's uh, ambitious. yeah but at three hundred thousand, that's not crazy mm -hmm. and you know it seems like it's it hits a lot of a lot of good spots so yeah we'll see yeah, well, it's gonna be interesting. It's not, it's not coming right now. It's a 2026, but uh, you know, Draco has already delivered vehicles to market with the GTE, so they have some credibility on that front. So I think I think that thing might might actually happen. Um, the other vehicle that was on well, not fully unveiled, but uh, the the first 
image of the production version of the vehicle was the Lucid Motors Gravity uh, following the Air. It's the, uh, the same platform, but with uh, the SUV version of it, if you will. And we, we, we've seen the vehicle before in some uh, teaser images and, and things like that, but uh, it was kind of an early concept and it looked like it. These images are a little bit more refined of what you're going to see in the gravity, though they are extremely uh, um, altered. <laughs> As you can see they're basically on the moon right now, so I don't think that's a real picture taken on the moon. We'll never know. Uh, but you get you get why they put it there, because this is this is all about like the visibility in terms of inside the vehicle like look at it's basically all glass i don't know exactly how they're going to do in terms of uh their, their crash test performance and everything because those when you go with all glass roof and glass all the way on the sides and everything like that it's uh normally a little bit more difficult but uh, i'm sure that they, they thought about that and the uh or reinforcing everything in the pillars as they need to um, but yeah, it's pretty pretty exciting. Um, also, another vehicle that we're gonna have to wait a little bit for, uh, 2024. They're talking first deliveries, and uh, we don't know exactly all the specs yet. But you can sort of assume similar trims that you have for the air, but uh, in the SUV form factor, so a little bit less range and everything, but more space, more utility out of it. And uh, yeah, Lucid also this week uh, started deliveries of the touring version. So they start, they're still, the next year uh, or two really uh, are going to be used to expand deliveries of the air and all the different trims. And they are going down market with their trims, starting with the uh, long range and more expensive version. So now that they're slowly going down market with it, um, once all, those, all the trims are going to be available, they're going to switch to gravity. Not a bad name. Um, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not against the Lucid naming scheme, Lucid Air, Lucid Gravity. What's going to be next, though? <laughs> uh, lucid Black Hole. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's pretty much it for all, all the, uh, the things that came out this week around the Eliota show. Like Seth said, it's kind of a disappointing um, showing this year because the Eliota show is kind of uh, the Probably the biggest one right now in the U.S., right? The Detroit kind of slipped a lot in the last few years. Yeah, I would say it's the biggest in the U.S. And traditionally, that's, you know, because it's Los Angeles and California, like it's been a place to unveil new EVs. And so that that's why it's quite disappointing this time around. And they had zero mobility stuff like last time. They had a lot of bike stuff. There was nothing like that. Uh, it's not It's not a separate, like La, 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 uh, L.A. Commotion or something like that? They had that, but that was another really small thing. Like Blink was there, like the charging network folks, but there, there wasn't much. Yeah, disappointing, like you said. All right, let's move to Tesla or, or Elon more specifically. Um, there was a lot of talk about this week uh, regarding how much time Elon is spending at Twitter uh, versus Tesla. And that's all within the context of uh Elon being challenged right now for his uh, compensation plan at Tesla is $54 billion compensation plan. Sorry, that he, he got in, uh, when was it? In 2018? And uh, yeah, you, you, I said that right, 54 billion, not million. And uh, it, it, it kinda, it, it's kind of a weird situation because it's, uh, it's, it's one guy that is suing Tesla for it, to, to, for, but, I don't know if it's Tesla or Elon specifically. So I guess it would be Tesla. Yeah, it would be Tesla because the Tesla board would have approved the competition plan and he wants Elon to give it back. Uh, and uh, 
the logic behind it is that it would it had too much power over the board back then uh, and influenced the board to pass this plan that gave him that kind of compensation through stock option, obviously. And um, on the Elon side, the allegation is that this is not really the doing of this investor who owns apparently nine share of Tesla stock. So like we're talking about an extremely small investor. Uh, and it, normally it's the firms that and these class action lawsuit and they find someone like uh, this this particular um, investor to be the the figurehead of the lawsuit that's the elon perspective on it which might be the right one i don't know fred i i own more shares of tesla than this investor does oh i thought that's you crazy. were you, you had just one i thought you went all the way down to just one i did, did have one, one? No, I had one, and then it split in five, oh. and then, <laughs> then that those fit split in three. So I have fifteen now. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, no, yeah. So so I, I mean, like, so this week was the trial. So a lot of it was part of the logic behind the compensation plays in the first place was that the board put it in place to encourage Elon to spend more time at Tesla to work on Tesla, and uh, so, so within that context. Elon also said this week that he was sleeping at the Twitter HQ and he was going to do so until, and I quote, the organization is fixed. And um, in my point of view, that means he would be sleeping there for the next few months, if not a few years. But obviously, I don't think he sees it like that exactly. Um, yeah. But at the same time, he said that he has Tesla also covered too. Uh, he said he's going to work on Tesla also this week, even though he's sleeping at HQ. Obviously, Tesla has a lot of Twitter HQ or in San Francisco, and Tesla has a lot of presence in the Bay Area, including Fremont Factory, but also the the former HQ in Palo Alto that are still used as uh, offices for a lot of uh, engineers and, and whatnot. But yeah, this uh, this this trial right now is is very interesting because uh, personally, if you want my opinion on it, I, I think it's kind I think it's kind of dumb because I remember. All the naysayers back then, when in 2018, when the, the the compensation plan was approved, everyone was like, "All right, like this is crazy, a 54 billion dollar compensation plan." But that is only achieved if he gets all the trenches from the plan, and each trench is associated with a milestone on Tesla, and those milestones involve um, increasing revenue 10x and increasing EBITDA 10x and profits and all that. Um, maybe more than 10x. I don't remember exactly. So everyone was like, "That's impossible!" And like it, it, increasing Tesla's value also by by a thousand percent. And um, so so people were, were saying like, "Okay, if he, if he if he's able to do that, then sure, give him 54 billion dollars." That was the logic back then because no one right. could see them doing that. And then he did it. So I like now that he did it, we're like, "Oh, give that money back!" Like I, I mean, I'm not. Uh, like if you're a Tesla investor, are you really that mad that that, that happened? So I kind of I kind of understand Elon's perspective on this that it looks like it's just the lawyers making the money here, but by asking a guy that has nine share, like if you really ask the guy that has nine share, like are you are you? And I would assume that he had those nine shares in 2018. Like are you that mad if you had nine shares in 2018 and now you're in 2022 and and the stock is, uh, I mean I, probably at least 10x in 2018. I would assume. Uh, uh, yep, even, even even with this recent stock uh, drop, I think. Yeah. 
And there was another interesting thing that came out uh, to the, the trial is uh, thanks to Mr. James Murdoch uh, from, uh, uh, what, what, what's the company's name again? Uh, it was, he's of the Fox Murdochs. Yeah, you know? Fox. But, but uh, that's not, it's Fox. News Corp. Yeah, News Corp. There you go. Thank you. Um, of News Corp fame. He's also a board director at, on the Tesla's board. And uh, he, w- he was on stand uh, this week. Okay, uh, this. Sorry. Uh, he, w- he was on, on, the, on stand this week. And uh, he, he was asked about if Elon has ever brought up a potential successor for, t- for, for his role at Tesla CEO. Because that's another thing that everyone's talking about this week. Um, Elon's spending more time at Twitter. Like, should get a new CEO at Tesla? Should get a new CEO at Twitter? And Elon did say on, on stand this week that uh, he actually plans to have a new CEO at Twitter. Like, he won't be CEO for, uh, forever. Uh, just to this reorganization of the company. And uh, but there's still talk of him being because even before Twitter, there was talk of him not being CEO forever. Like people adding Twitter to his plate is just one more thing because before that, people were already concerned about spending his time between Tesla and SpaceX and then Neuralink and then the boring company and all that. So the guy has a ton on his plate. And uh, what's interesting here is that Murdoch at his deposition that was months ago, he did say that no, Elon, Elon never brought up the idea of a, of a specific successor to take over his role as Tesla CEO. But this week on the stand, he was asked again and he said, actually, since the time of that deposition, so recently, Elon has suggested a potential successor uh, for the role of Tesla CEO without naming him. But that opens the door for speculation. <laughs> and we are good at that. And obviously, you see if you're watching right now on YouTube, like I have the picture that I use for for this article was a picture of Elon with uh, Herbert uh, Diaz, former CEO of Volkswagen. And um, that that is the Diaz is probably the number one uh, potential successor, I would assume. And if if there's someone else is higher ranked than him as a potential successor, he's really under the radar that person uh, because uh, Diaz was. I mean, it's a rumor, but I think it's pretty much confirmed because DS was asked about it and he, he didn't deny. And I think Elon also didn't deny that um, before he became CEO of Volkswagen, uh, he moved from BMW, I think. And uh, he, he was, um, so in, during that transition, which uh, was in 2014, 2015, around the time of the Dieselgate scandal, and he took over at Volkswagen, apparently he had an offer from Tesla to take over as CEO, and he uh, declined it and went to Volkswagen instead. So we know that Tesla has most likely courted him before to to, to take over. And uh, now that what's interesting is that apparently Elon has brought up someone recently over the last four months. And what happened over the last few months? DS uh, has left uh, Volkswagen, sort of being almost kicked out of it for being a little bit too pro-EV, it sounds, from the perspective of some people. Uh, of course, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of infighting between Volkswagen and the, 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 all the shareholders and the Porsche uh, family and all that. So we don't know exactly what happened, but one of the main, uh, main uh, dialogue around that has been that DS has been extremely pro-EV and pushing Volkswagen hard to accelerate the transition to electric vehicles and uh, maybe a little bit too strong uh, toward that direction than the, the board liked. 
Um, but he has a ton of experience uh, leading uh, as an executive in the auto industry and in specifically in the German auto industry. And uh, Tesla is at a stage right now that it wouldn't probably make sense for them to have more like a, as just a seasoned executive that is a little bit less controversial than Elon. While Elon stays around Tesla too as a, like a visionary product architect and whatever kind of uh, weird uh, title he wants uh, on his business cards. But uh, also the, the other thing I think is interesting is that uh, now I'm pretty sure that he could become chairman of the board again at Tesla, uh, a role that he had to forfeit because of a settlement with the ACC over the uh, tweets about taking Tesla private. So maybe it would make sense for him to become like some kind of executive chairman of the of the board and be have still a great influence on Tesla, but having someone running the day-to-day -day. i think you're on board with that said if i'm not wrong right yeah he sounds uh he sounds like a, a really good uh candidate um i think part of the reason he got uh ousted from vw was uh they were a little bit behind in software so that part maybe doesn't vote as well uh but you know we clearly know that elon likes him and uh he was in the running i mean that was a monumental mistake. Like uh, if he had a choice at any point to pick between Tesla and VW, I, mm. I don't know if uh, I would have chosen VW. Although uh, 2015 though, 2015. Also yeah. working for Elon probably isn't a walk in the park either. So mm -hmm. uh, uh, I don't know what you do there, but it is interesting. Um, I did see another, uh, a month, uh, an analyst named Gene Munster, throughout some other names. So Herbert Diaz is his first one. J.B. Straubel uh, from, uh, you know, back in the day. No. Yeah, they could buy think... Redwood Materials or something and bring him in. Mm, yeah. Drew, ba Drew Baglino. I think J.B. would want to focus on the on the Redwood Material thing. Redwood right, Materials about... is going to be is gonna be a giant business, I think. Like, yeah. And, it, and across different uh, car makers as well. They've, they've mm -hmm. already signed up a bunch of people, a bunch of... Uh, yeah, including Volkswagen and Audi. So Drew Baglino, what do you think about his his chances there? Uh, I mean, I, I, I like Drew Baglino a, a lot, but if if anything, I think Drew should become CTO. They should like Elon is super stingy with those like C level roles and all that. Like yeah. he's like he's basically CEO, and yeah, you have like uh, and and you have uh, Kirk. Um, sorry, what's his name? Um, Kirkhorn, Kirkhorn. Yeah, Zach Kirkhorn. Zachary Kirkhorn as a, as CFO, which you kind of you kind of need a CFO. Uh, but then, other than that, like all the other C suit, I mean, there's, there's a chief compliance officer, I guess. Uh, but I mean, no one cares about that. Right. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yes. So, like, I think if like an asteroid came down and you know blew up Elon, I think interim CEO would probably be Zach, right? Uh, most likely, uh, yeah. Right. So no planning. Zach's probably the default. Mm -hmm. Like usually the CFO is like the default or mm -hmm. COO and there isn't one. Yeah. So no, there's no CEO either. So that's yeah. why I'm, I'm thinking like I, I don't think Drew would probably be uh, made C CEO, but making him now, whether Elon stays CEO or not, making him CTO would make a ton of sense, I think. I, I would uh, that would probably be one of the dream scenario for Elon, though, if he somehow is not CEO anymore, like having GB CEO and, uh, and Drew CTO, but uh, I just don't, I, don't, I just don't see JB coming back. Uh, 
not not Redwood is is doing some very important things right now that needs to be done. So, right. Yeah, and then, then this this guy kind of went off the the wagon there. He Vinit Meta, another Tesla veteran, Alexander Wood Wojcicki, which uh, manager of propulsion at SpaceX, Lars Morevi, a Tesla executive for twelve years, is the VP of vehicle engineering and previously worked as a designer at Honda. And then Eddie Q from Apple. That that's probably the worst place I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, I think ingenious smoking, uh, whatever smoking I want some. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think Deese is probably the the uh, odds-on favorite at the moment. Mm-hmm. No, I would agree. All right. Should we talk a little bit about EcoFlow before moving on? Yep. Let me grab that real quick. And then we're going to discuss, uh, we have a few more news items to discuss, and then we're going to jump into the comment section. So we are live. Remember, people, this show is live. If you have any comments, any uh, questions for us, you can put them in the comment section right now, and we'll get to them in about 10, 15 minutes. All right. Uh, this week's sponsor is EcoFlow. EcoFlow's Black Friday sale is here. So we're it's the perfect time to score our deal on an EcoFlow portable power and solar panel solution. From weekend camping trips to powering a whole household in a blackout, EcoFlow offers a portable power and solar combination for everyone. In the sale, you'll find discounts up to 50% off a wide range of products with an extra 8% off for electric listeners. The sale offers discounts on almost the entire lineup from EcoFlow, including its new Delta line that packs an industry-leading output of up to 3.6 kilowatts. The new 3,600-watt-hour capacity Delta Pro is also the world's first portable power station that can be charged by any level two EV charging station. So great for uh, EV owners. You also get a Delta Mini valued at $1,000 for orders over $5,000 or a free River Mini valued at $349 for orders over $3,000. You can check out the sale at the link in the show notes or at ecoflow.com now. Thanks to EcoFlow. Thanks, EcoFlow. All right, a uh, few more news items to discuss real quick before we jump into the comment section. Uh, we, another interesting tidbit of information that came from the trial, from Tesla trial, it was when uh, Tesla chairwoman uh, Robin Denholm was on the on the stand and uh, completely seems completely unrelated to the trial itself, but uh, gave us an interesting information that I think is newsworthy. Is she she talked about the planned production capacity for the Tesla Semi this year. Uh, she said that they are aiming to produce about 100 trucks this year. So this is interesting because um, we didn't have much information on that. Back last year when we first reported that Tesla was planning some low-volume production at the building just outside of Gigafactory Nevada, we heard from our sources that Tesla was aiming to produce about five trucks per week. So um, that, that was last year. So they might have changed that a little bit, but not too much. Like this is a low volume production facility. And uh, we know that Tesla is aiming to move production to Gigafactory Texas, where they would produce a lot more. Elon recently said up to 50,000 units per year as soon as 2024, which sounds extremely optimistic if you want to ask me. But what between now and, and then, what, what between production that uh, officially started uh, in early October, so deliveries are expected in the next few weeks and December 1st, but early October is when production started. So between now and the end of the year, how much 
trucks can they produce, how many trucks they can produce, about 100 units, it sounds like. So pretty, pretty good. That's actually higher than I thought it would be. Uh, if Tesla delivers over 50 Tesla Semi this year, I would be pleasantly surprised. But then it, it, 100 units, between 50 and 100 units, that would set them up well for 2023 for a decent decent amount of deliveries. And they will have to deliver like a significant amount because 50,000 units in 2024 is like it's, it's if you how can you rent for like a few thousand in 2023 to 50,000 2024? It makes no sense to me. But that's what they said. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt for now. Um, but it's going to be an interesting ramp up to, to, to follow because uh, this. If you have the capacity to produce 50,000 Tesla semi trucks per year in 2024, you just change the whole trucking industry on its head. Because if the cost of operation it is lower than, uh, not the cost, the uh, energy efficiency is lower than two kilowatt hour per mile, like Tesla has been saying, it's it's a game changer. Because then you, leave, you, you, you need less than uh, 20 cents to, to, to move that truck uh, 20 miles in terms of fuel cost, which is nowhere near that with a diesel truck. And then you put all the other potential maintenance um, savings that you can add to it with an electric truck, a lot fewer moving parts, and uh, complete game changer because that that has nothing to do with trying to convince the consumers to move to an electric vehicle, which is a difficult task to do, though, though it is happening at an incredible pace. Trucks is different. Trucks is not. There's not a lot of convincing to do other than is this going to save us money? <laughs> and uh, if their answer is yes, it's like, well, we're going to go on this one when we need to update our fleet, and they need to do it fairly regularly because uh, these trucks are on the road nonstop and they and, and they break. So yeah, I think I think this is going to be massive. Not that Tesla is the only one doing it, but uh, the only one with the kind of specs we're talking about here, and and. This is one of those things that because of uh, with a load with the 80,000 pound truck fully loaded to get 500 miles of range, which you, you kind of need more because this is your job to drive. It's not about like, oh, I want to go on a 500 mile road trip and oh, if I have a 300 mile cars, I need to stop and charge. So there's nothing to do with that. It's about like time is money for them. Uh, so having that longer range is important. And the other trucks we've seen so far from Freightliner, from Volvo, from... Uh, BYD, they don't have that kind of range with that kind of capacity. So this this is a big deal. Yeah, and uh, uh, somebody in the comments or nobody in the comments said uh, Tesla should be with their own biggest customer for the semi. They they obviously deliver a lot of cars via semi, so they could be their own customer. And that's typically the case usually when Tesla releases a new vehicle. Uh, they dog food it, meaning that they they use it themselves. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, we'll see semis with, you know, loads of Teslas driving around. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of have to too. If the whole concept behind it is like, oh, it's gonna save you money. <laughs> uh, like, well, I, well, I want to save money too. <laughs> I'm gonna make those trucks for myself. So yeah, yep. it, it, it makes a ton of sense. Like, if they're not using it themselves, then you, it's a red flag. <laughs> it's like, is it really saving right. you money? Uh, so that's gonna be interesting to take a look at. And the last piece of news here. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Quebec Battery Valley. So we talked about this a few times because there's a lot of project coming on in the Quebec Battery Valley, which is uh, in, around Bécancourt, just outside of Trois-Rivières, which is um, like the biggest city between Montreal and Quebec City in Quebec. And uh, what's interesting is like there's been a ton of new projects related to battery material production, things that are kind of unique in North America right now because China has had a hold on that industry for a long time. 
Uh, even though we are producing now battery cells in North America, like at Gigafactory Nevada, there's not a lot of production of the cathode and anode materials and other materials that need to go into the, those battery cells. The kind of processing, the refining of those materials, refining lithium, refining graphite, refining nickel. Uh, so the, these projects include, uh, we've talked to the, uh, about them, about like Nouveau Monde Graphite that's producing, uh, that's building a nanol material processing plant there. You have Nemaska Lithium that's producing lithium hydroxide processing plant. You have POSCO that's making also cathode material for EV batteries there. And um, you also have Vell that's planning a large nickel sulfate production facility there, all for batteries. They hasn't have a battery factory announced there, though there's been some rumors, including Tesla looking and poking around there. But all the ingredients to make battery cells are there. So it would make sense for someone to pull the trigger soon and just, all right, let's make also battery cells there. But what's been very interesting too, that's a kind of trend that I didn't really identify until this week, is that GM has taken note of Quebec's Battery Valley and is snapping up all the production capacity already. Uh, we, we talked about this. So the POSCO $400 million cattle material facility, that's in partnership with GM. They want the capacity for that. So they already had that. That I remember. I knew about that. Uh, but then also, uh, this one is less confirmed, but pretty close to be confirmed, is that uh, GM or City announced a partnership with LiveEnd. And LiveEnd is a partner in the Mascal Lithium. It's like a 50-50 partner with the Quebec government. And um, the uh, snap up, the, the capacity the upcoming capacity from Liven to produce lithium dioxide in, in North America. And we assume that the, the capacity is going to be coming from Namaska lithium. So GM also snapped that up. And now this week, what they announced, they announced that the Vail facility that uh, they're planning there, GM also signed an agreement to secure a significant portion, if not all, because I, I kept, they, they secured 25,000 metric ton of uh, battery grade nickel sulfate. And all I could find is that Vell is planning a 25,000 metric ton per year uh, sulfate capacity there. So it looks like basically they're going to be just working for, for, for GM there, unless they plan to increase capacity. And that's a lot what people are talking about because everything that is already planned for that new Quebec Battery Valley, which most of it hasn't been built yet. It's all project that's been announced and currently being built. The capacity is not there yet. And that's already all sold out to those to, to GM mostly, it sounds like. So... We assume that a lot of them will increase capacity over time and uh, on, uh, make some available for other projects. Uh, but yeah, the Quebec Battery Valley is is no joke now. A lot, a lot of a lot of investment there, and it's it's a small region too. Like uh, it's, it's thirty minutes from where I live right now, and it's already super low in employment there. So I would assume that uh, these projects could change the, the region a lot. Pretty excited for it, uh, to be honest. All right, should we jump into the comment section? Yep, let's hit that. All right, uh, we have Draco Dragon. Any coincidence because of the Dragon SpaceX uh, rocket, or just just coincidence? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's only has to do with it. But I like the name Draco Dragon. That sounds like it's a solid name, right? Yeah. What are you driving? I'm driving a dragon. Can you beat that? I'm driving I gravity. Lucid. Yeah, yeah, or or as Greg Paulin says, uh, the lucid star would be. A good yeah, that's not a bad one. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be the next one probably. That's a good call. All right, Chris Williams, uh, what is your prediction for the year when EV sales will outpace internal combustion sales? Obviously, Global new cars. Or? Yeah, that's a good question. 
like in Norway, that was a year ago or two years yeah, ago. More, yeah, more than a year ago, I think. Uh, I mean, in the U.S., let's, let's talk to the U.S. question. Well, yeah. so the truth is, uh, is from the U.S. Because um, globally, I mean, globally, I think you, timing with the U.S. is going to be pretty close. But because you're, yeah. you're going to have a lot of like, like South America and everything. But overall, South America doesn't contribute that much to the overall uh, car buying. Again, a new car, like uh, like Chris said. So I'm I'm gonna be. I I think it's gonna happen fast. I think because what we've been seeing lately is not just like EV cells like booming. We've seen ice cells crashing, and people just attributed that at first, like the pandemic in 2020 and everything. But it's not going well. It's not coming back well. Like 2022 it has been bad for for ice cells in, in the U.S. And so you have to assume that, and 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 so bad that that EVs are not even compensating for it. So overall sales are down too. So the way I'm thinking is like the, the, what I've been predicting for a long time is happening, where people are like, if if it's not an EV that I'm going to be buying next, I'm not buying anything. So I, I'm thinking that the market is going to be huge on like every EV that they can produce is going to sell and also people are going to keep their cars so like the mechanics are going to still have a lot of business going forward people are going to keep their car longer uh instead of uh, buying new because the resale value of those vehicles with everything going ev is not going to be as great so i want to say 2025 is that is that too crazy no that's it that's what i was going to say as well um and you know you, you were kind of alluding to it but i think there's a portion of the population there's a lot of people moving into cities i think there's a portion of the population that you know gets by with e-bikes and scooters and lyft and they just they don't need to buy their own bike their own uh evs or or internal combustion vehicles so that is part i i think that's a little bit of the vibe at the la auto show it was kind of like uh you know we love to talk about evs but like our main business you know where we make all our money is internal combustion engines and we need to sell these things because you know we're dropping like flies here so um that was kind of the vibe i was getting uh here at the show yeah that makes sense but it it, it it's i know i know it sounds crazy because right now we're like what eight percent in the u.s or say six percent something like that uh of evs right so to go from that in 2022 to uh, over 50 in 2025 it, it, it sounds crazy but and but I think it's very feasible. Yeah, and and you know, being in Los Angeles, like where I'm at now, you you see, you know, there's ten or twenty percent of the EV cars on the road are EVs, so mm -hmm. it's it's definitely yeah. a feature here. All right, yeah, friend I, of the show. sorry, you have to also think too that why I'm taking 2025 because 2024, 2025 is when a lot of those giant new factories are coming online too, like the new Ford factories and in. in in the south and uh, and the, the GM or, uh, in Ohio and, and and all that, when all of those are coming online, that's going to be the biggest impact, obviously. Yeah. On that note, um, we have Peter going to the Ford Blue Oval factory opening, I believe, on December tenth. Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be all right. Our friend of the show, Sylvian uh, Belanger, is that? Sylvain Belanger. <laughs> okay, I ruined it. Uh, he is. Let's see. Uh, the Beck, maybe you should just read that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Beck on a cool region. People don't know what's gonna hit them with all those battery factory that are coming. I don't know. I don't know. There's no battery factory coming just yet. That's the that's the thing though. Like that's that's uh, 
there's a lot of plants that are coming up with and yeah that's going to have a big impact on the regions already all those battery materials but yeah i think the biggest impact is going to be when there's actually going to be someone that's going to build batteries there that's going to be a much bigger impact and then maybe even cars that can build some cars that would be cool so yeah is also asking me if i'm coming to the vinfast tour opening in montreal i don't even know when that is so that's a no for me um we uh, have so so yeah, cool. at the LA Auto Show, uh, Vinfast was actually giving rides in there, and, and mm. you know we weren't allowed to drive, and it was just around the parking lot. But they were giving rides in their vehicles, so that's the first time we've ever ridden at a Vinfast, and it was a fine ride. It wasn't mm. anything special, but um, you know they're actually making cars that move. So <laughs> good for them. That's better than a lot of uh, things we've seen at the LA Auto Show in years past. Yeah. All right, moving on. Uh, all right, we're talking about Elon's successors. Shana Sullivan says uh, Carlos Gozen would be an option as CEO if he can get out of Lebanon. And uh, I, don't, I don't think anyone was that kind of eat right now. Uh, Carlos yeah. is a bit of a hot potato for uh, for, for people that you don't want to. I don't think yeah, anyone wants to. Weird situation that one. I uh, I'm looking forward to. That. I think they're doing a documentary on it. Looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, because if if everything is said is true, which I mean, it's hard to. There's there's definitely a way to look at it where he comes out on top for sure. Like even though he's a fugitive, <laughs> but uh, there's a way for it, especially if it has to do with EV, him being ousted, and and there's 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 some credibility to that considering what Nissan has done since then. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that it is true, but if it is, it, I mean, this guy is going to be like a folk hero, really. In the EV community. It should be, at least. Right. All right, Google Ponzi. In my opinion, Herbert Deese does not have the skill set to run Tesla. Maybe another legacy OEM, but not Tesla. And yeah, I alluded to the fact that, you know, Volkswagen's had quite a bit of software issues, uh, especially on their ID3 and ID4 vehicles um and that may have contributed to his uh ouster at bw um joel what do you think i mean i might it's definitely true that they had some issues with it and like how much is ds responsible for that right. I, I i don't know i mean uh, the main thing for tesla going forward is always going to be can they retain top talent can they attract top talent and that that has been tesla's biggest force so far uh, and I, I don't think ds would would impede that in any way personally like if anything like elon right now is at, he's on the verge right now where, where like if you're a hardcore engineer which you know he loves that word hardcore and everything he, he probably is still the number one person you want to work for but at the same time he he's doing things that he's definitely driving some talent away too at the same time like this what is happening right now at twitter sure like it is, he's optimizing the situation for only the most hardcore people to stay but is that sustainable long term like you can have some great engineering talent that just don't want to kill themselves at work <laughs> that's uh those the two are not necessarily exclusive yeah i i I don't know if I would ever want to work for Elon, but all right. Uh, Gog's back. Uh, in my opinion, JB Straubel will never go back to Tesla. I think, Fred, you agree with that? 
Yeah, I'd be surprised. I'm, I don't think because he wouldn't want to or anything like that. It's because he, he, he had the right idea with Wedwood, where we need to build in North America a, a strong supply chains for battery production. And that's what he's doing. Like, so, I mean, more power to him. He's doing important work that Tesla going to benefit from too also. So, Yeah. And then uh, Wall Ride says Drew. So I think there's some support for him. Um, let's see. Uh, are you sure Tesla is canceling solar installations in what areas? Uh, we, we reported on that what, last week. Yeah, I mean that's okay. they literally told clients that, and they've I've canceled hundreds of of installations. So, uh, yes. Yeah, I, I think that was pretty universally accepted. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't believe Tesla 100 percent that they're actually completely pulling out of those areas because that makes no sense to me because they are prime areas for solar. Uh, so it is weird to me, but that's what they're saying right now, and that's what they're doing. Uh, is it just temporary because they are focusing some installation crews to other projects? I, I don't know, but yeah, we have to take in for their words for now. Well, a lot of people they're like they're reaching out to me. They're like, "Hey, they haven't canceled mine." So I never was like, "That, is, that doesn't mean that they haven't canceled hundreds of them." <laughs> There's right. thousands in, in, in the pipeline right now. All right, Joel Sapp again. Uh, question: Do you see Tesla selling their NAX equipment, NACS equipment, car side and charger side to other OEMs and charging network operators? Um, I, I think charging network operators might make some sense. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think other auto companies, until they you know redesign their cars, are going to mm -hmm. be interested in that. And I'm not even sure that's going to happen. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, some small OEMs probably like I don't, we don't hold your breath for GM or Ford to adopt the standard, uh, but uh, like Rivian could make sense doing it. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that they will either, but uh, Abtera apparently is going to do it. Uh, maybe Lucid should do it. Uh, I, I don't know. Like they, it is a better standard. There's no where it's a better connector. There's no way around it. So why, why not yeah. do it? Yeah, I think uh, before, you know, GM or Ford or even, you know, smaller companies get on board, they kind of have to have some assurance that, you know, what Tesla's going to do and they have to have some say in like the future of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, saying it's an open standard doesn't really make it so. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, Google Ponzi, in my opinion, Canada and Australia will be two large beneficiaries of the Biden IRA Act. No, well. no doubt about that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's for sure, for sure helping in mining industries and refining industries in those places right now. Uh, Reflect the Sun says, like Apple, it seems Tesla would 95% promote from within. So, yeah, Apple promotes from within quite a bit. I think Tesla probably does the same. Yeah, I mean, there's a, yeah, they, they promote a lot from within, but also the, the whole the whole shtick is they're good at attracting <laughs> engineering talent. So they, they hire a lot from outside, too. I think that's about it. And then Gook said, Fred, Twitter is not equal to oh, yeah. Tesla. Did, did I actually say that? <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why you said that because I, I don't think I've ever said that, nor uh, ever will. Oh, maybe you said that like in, in terms of uh, attracting talent. That, that That's true. I never, and when I, when I, when I, I refer to what Elon is doing at Twitter right now, I'm referring to the fact that uh, the kind of culture that he's obviously like if, if you haven't read any of the emails that leak that he sent out to employees right now, he's obviously trying to implement some kind of all core 
engineering culture, but it involves uh, kind of a work-life balance that is on non-existent, so, uh, which Tesla has been known for, SpaceX too, for, for a long time. So I'm saying that that has its value for sure. It, it works to a degree, but you are inevitably driving away some talent too when you do that, some actual engineering talent. There's just no way around it is all I'm saying. All right, but that's uh, that's it for us this week. Uh, appreciate for you for listening to the show. Uh, if you are still listening right now, you can do a few things for us that would be super helpful to help grow the show and help promote uh, Electric's mission, which I hope you share with us, which is to accelerate the advent of electric transportation and renewable energy. And uh, by to do that, you can just put a like on the whatever app you're watching right now, subscribe. Uh, hit the notification for uh, the, the bell for notification for uh, to get uh, notified next time we are on. If you are listening on your podcast app right now, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, if you can leave us a five star review, that helps the show tremendously. Of course, only if you like it. And uh, that's it for us this week. We're gonna see you same time, same place next week.